Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Welcome back. This is Built for the Storm, part five. Are you ready? I'm recording this one a few days after we recorded part four, and uh, you'll hear this a week after, if that's the way you listen to these when they come out one at a time. After part four, maybe you just uh, binge listen to these while you're driving or working out or sitting somewhere staring out the window. But welcome, I'm glad you're here, and we're going to hop right into part five. Now, I'm recording in a different setting than I was the last uh, several. I'm actually recording at home. I have a sound studio at home. And if you're listening very carefully, I don't know if you can hear that. You hear it? There's a chainsaw going on in the background. (laughs) Apparently my studio at home isn't as soundproof as I would like it to be. So if it gets really annoying and, and the bar goes up really high on the sound booth here, well then I'll pause and wait for it to go away. But about 250 or 300 yards away up the hill from my property here, they are on the next piece up there, cutting down some trees. (laughs) But, uh, you know, we talked last time about using your calendar, and uh, this is on my calendar, and I have a week coming up that is really tightly booked (laughs) by my own choice with wonderful things. This is the time that I'm going to record. So let's go for it. Maybe this will be an exercise in concentration and focus for you. Maybe you'll be able to use that part of your brain where you focus, which we call system two, to be able to pay attention clearly to what we're talking about and to turn down the signal of the chainsaw in the background. I'm not going to be able to mix it out. I just know that for sure. Neither are the pros who do this with me. (laughs) So whatever. Eh, Let's just hope we don't hear someone hollering up there in pain. It reminds me of a story a few years back at at another piece of property up the hill, a little bit even further and off to the left. When my children were young, they were all out in the front part of our property kind of playing and and, uh, someone showed up to uh, trim a tree or to cut a tree down. It was about a 150 foot tall cedar tree in the Pacific Northwest. That's what we have everywhere around where I live anyway. And uh, this guy got clear to the top of the tree and, and, and accidentally cut the belt that was holding him up against the tree. Uh, According to the story that my son Jonathan and Christopher told me, they could hear him ah, as he, oops, accidentally cut the belt and then bounced from one limb to another to another, all the way down, slowly falling out of the tree and landing on his face (laughs) clear at the bottom of this 150 foot tall cedar tree. Thankfully, he was only bruised a little bit, but apparently they had a hilarious time laughing and watching him as he was bouncing down the tree. So hopefully that won't be happening up there today. That's what happens when you hire amateur loggers to do what pros are supposed to be doing. These folks up the hill today doing all that work look to be pros. All kinds of safety equipment. It looks like they're wrapping themselves around the tree with a chain instead of with a rope, which is what that, or a belt, which is what that other guy did several years ago. Uh, Anyway, let's talk a little bit about people who are built for the storm. Let's dive in. So, you know, we've talked about 
<clears throat> the iceberg model. And that iceberg model illustrates the importance of what's below the waterline for us. And I've shown you that uh, truly durable and resilient people are built for the storm because they have chosen a specific set of values. And what's truly important to them is quite different from what matters to those brittle and fragile people or to people who are swamped by the storm. I've also shown you that these resilient folks carefully engineered how they think. Their mental models and the maps that they use, the assumptions that they have are strikingly different than other people. They know that their perspective matters and that they choose that perspective on things carefully. Then those mental models set them up to have specific habits that they put in place so that they'll be able to lean into the storms of life, so that they will actually thrive in the midst of protracted and intense challenges like the ones that you are facing. They don't just let the habits accidentally develop and then mindlessly follow them like an old car follows ruts in the road. <laughs> no, these resilient people put habits in place that make them more durable more flexible, more optimistic, because one of their mental models is that the storms are the norm and that calm water is not the norm. They've also learned that sometimes their habits are not enough. They need more than habits. They need a little extra booster. Therefore, they've also added a set of disciplines that act like powerful boosters for their life when their habits won't quite get them to that next level they need to be. So, in today's conversation, let's wrap our minds around their disciplines and see what we can learn from them. First of all, what is a discipline? Have you ever looked at, at a disciplined person and thought, wow, that's impressive. I could never be like that. I could never be that disciplined. They must have a lot of willpower. And we kind of sit back in awe of those disciplined people. Maybe we watch them as they have some reality TV show about racing around the world or about, or about uh, long distance or super intense athletic events or something like that. We, we just think, wow, that's impressive while we eat our Doritos. <laughs> we think I could never be like that. Well, what is willpower and how does it relate to building and using disciplines? Willpower occurs mostly in that, what I like to call the V8 portion of our brain. Remember that old set of commercials where someone smacked themselves on the forehead like that and said, wow, I could have had a V8. Well, that part right there that they smacked, that forehead part, that's really where most of our willpower mechanism in our brain actually works. And willpower is made up of three parts in the front of our brain. That is the I will part. I will do something. It's also I won't do something. So it's like the, uh, the gas pedal. I will do this, but it's also the brakes. Ah, no, I won't do that. But there's a third part to willpower. It's the I want section. Those three parts in the front of our brain, those three functions all work together to make willpower happen. And as you can imagine, they are very glucose and energy intense. It takes a lot of energy to power that part of our brain when we are choosing to do something because I will do this and I won't do that because I want this later in life or later in the day or later in the week. Okay. I will, I won't, I want all happen at once. In fact, when we're doing that, some have suggested that our brain is using about three times as much glucose to power our, our, our brain at that moment than it does when our mind just kind of wanders off into the distance. Therefore, we end up using our willpower fairly sparingly. It's a powerful starter 
or a booster, but it doesn't last that long. In fact, whenever we make a conscious decision, should I wear these socks or these socks? <laughs> should I wear those boots or those boots? Caffeine or decaf? Well, always caffeine. <laughs> whenever we make a conscious decision, we're actually using willpower. There's a thing called decision fatigue. You probably have heard about it. If not, you've certainly experienced it. It seems that we have a limited supply of willpower. Therefore, we use it sparingly. It's a powerful starter or a booster, but it doesn't really last that long. You and I have experienced this a lot, especially when it comes to making conscious decisions. So a conscious decision like, uh, do I wear these boots or these boots? Do I eat that or that? Those simple decisions that we make actually require willpower in order to be able to make them. It's the I will, I won't, I want part of our brain. So it seems like we've got just a limited supply of this willpower to be able to power our decisions. If you get halfway through your day, you'll notice that decisions are harder and harder to make. You can still make them, but it seems like they take more and more energy, more and more time, and the quality of the decision might actually go down too. This is a thing called decision fatigue. Kind of fun to think about, not to experience, but to think about, <laughs> you know, when you get home and someone says, so what would you like for dinner? And you find yourself going, uh, I don't know. <laughs> or you'll stand in front of the refrigerator staring, not sure what you want if you're already hungry. Decision fatigue. And perhaps we can make 75 to 100 conscious decisions in a day before we start to feel decision fatigue. And again, it doesn't mean we can't make decisions. It just means they're harder and harder to make. So resilient people know this and they do not use their willpower there decision-making, focused, concentrated energy in their brain to make decisions that they don't need to make. They don't just decide. They decide how they're going to decide. That, by the way, is called a meta-decision. This sets them apart from nearly every other person around them. <laughs> they're different in this regard. Maybe I'm describing you as well. You give thought to a decision. Is this my decision to make? Should the decision be made now? Could I, if it is mine and should be made now, can I make this decision in a way that it will apply to a bunch of other decisions? That's called a meta decision. So in this way, they're very, very different. Well, how are they different? They ask, is this my decision? And then they know that not all decisions are made equal. Some are what I like to call now decisions and some are later decisions. Those are the kind of decisions that we really can put off because there's more to know or because there's no deadline attached to it. They know that decisions that I make for now are fast kind of decisions and they may not have a lasting impact like which kind of boots am I going to wear or what should I eat? Should I eat this or that? It might not have a lasting impact. Then decisions that I make for later, I will probably make slowly. Later and slow decisions are therefore different than now and fast decisions. Those later slow decisions will probably have a lasting impact. When I make the decision, it goes out and turns around and comes back and makes me. The point I'm trying to make here is that resilient people who are built for the storm know the difference between my decision and someone else's and between now decisions and later decisions. They also decide once for several things. They use principles to make their decisions. 
that is because of this value, I always do this, or I never do that, or I always support this, or I always resist that, because of a principle, because of a value behind it. They also use standards. Standards, as you know, are different from goals. A standard is 100% of the time. It's either I always, or we always, or we never. That's a standard. And a goal is something we are trying to get closer to. So they know the difference between setting a goal and using a standard. They review their decisions, especially the later decisions, the later slower decisions. And they're trying to learn to be better at making those kind of decisions. A little sidebar here, by the way. Uh, worry is like making a decision, almost making a decision over and over and over and over. <laughs> it wears the brain out. That's why these people who are built for the storm schedule their worry so they can focus on it, make a decision and move on at a point in time. Finally, how are they different? They use morning decision making to prompt their disciplines. Decisions are easier to make in the morning? Well, because we're fresh, because we have more glucose to spend, because the pace of the day has not whipped us into a frenzy yet, okay? So willpower and decision-making is what we use to prompt a discipline. So in that context, let's talk about disciplines. Disciplines therefore function just like a habit. Remember, a habit has a cue, and then it just takes off and runs on its own through a routine till it gets to the reward, and then there's a pause, and then we crave that whole routine again. Disciplines function just like habits, but there is a little bit of a difference in that they need a conscious decision to get them going, where a habit only needs a cue, often unconscious. Often we're unaware of that cue. We walk across the threshold of the door, for example, like I mentioned in the last podcast, and click, we're into a decision. We have a key in our hand. We walk into a room. We know we always put our key right there. It's really not even conscious. It just moves. But a discipline requires a little extra bump to get it started. That bump is willpower. So <clears throat> when I was in high school, I was given a 1959 Ford station wagon <laughs> as my daily driver. It had an old Ford 289 in it. The car probably weighed 12,000 pounds. Everything was metal on the car. The dashboard was metal. The steering wheel was metal. The doors were solid metal. The glass in the windows were surrounded by and encased by chrome metal. <laughs> the thing was really, really heavy. And it refused to start on cold mornings. Occasionally, it would actually stop while I was driving too, like in an intersection. It would just say, I think we're done here. But thankfully, it was so heavy, it would coast for another thousand feet before I was able to pull over to the side of the road. But on these cold mornings, we would have to start it using a little bit of extra help, starter fluid. I remember sitting in the driver's seat with the massive hood open, and my dad would get under the hood and take off the top of the air cleaner and expose the carburetor and spray starter fluid in. And he would say, all right, crank it. And of course, highly explosive. There were more than one time where, the, where a little ball of fire would appear under the hood as the car started. Well, once it got started, it was great, <laughs> usually. And it would run, you know, sipping six miles per gallon or something like that <laughs> or six gallons per mile it felt like sometimes but it took that extra boost to get it going on a cold morning well that little extra boost is willpower and with that little extra boost getting the discipline started once we start then the discipline functions just like a habit 
This is so interesting because when we look at disciplined people or whenever you have been disciplined, really it's just a few seconds at the beginning of the discipline, which is the thing we need to focus on. We need to apply our willpower just for a few seconds. And I do mean a few seconds at the beginning of acting out a discipline. And then once we start moving in that discipline, it will function just like a habit. Disciplines will kick in this starter fluid, this willpower part, when I've promised myself that I will do that discipline or I've promised another person and I'm going to enact that discipline at a specific time. 5.15 in the morning, I'm going to work out. Boom, 5.15 happens. I've promised myself or I've promised another person and, and within a few seconds, all right, I start moving, start doing the discipline and boom, then I can work out. That applies to everything. That discipline could apply to uh, that moment when someone comes to talk to you about someone else and they're going to triangulate. They're going to create drama. They're going to gossip. And you know that you have a discipline in place where you break triangles and you communicate directly. Five, four, three, two, one act. And in that five seconds or 10 seconds, you're using your willpower, which is in limited supply, to kick that discipline into gear. Once you start moving, and usually it has to be some sort of physical movement. You stand up or you put your hand up or you say, have you talked directly to that person? Or you say, I'm going to go talk directly to that person. And you start to move or you write the email. Some, just really quickly, once you start, the discipline becomes a habit or it functions just like a habit. So when I've promised myself that I'm going to do something at a specific time or I've promised a person I'm going to do it or both, that's when the discipline will kick in. It'll also kick in with physical reminders that I've promised myself. There's something right there like an alarm or I've put my shoes out or I put the vegetables in the front of the refrigerator and they're already cut up or on and on it goes, okay? They'll also kick in with a very small act of willpower, as I said, but it only lasts and only needs to last a few seconds. It doesn't feel like that looking ahead at the discipline that I decided to practice. It feels like before I do it that it's going to take this gutting out of willpower throughout the entire process of the discipline, but it does not. It's a beautiful surprise to discover that the hard part of acting a discipline only lasts a few seconds. So disciplined people people who are built for the storm and put disciplines in place on purpose so that they can thrive in the middle of the storm. They ignore how they feel at the decision point. Most people think of how they feel right now. And it's usually, I don't really feel like it. So, but maybe later I'll feel like it. Yep. That's a trap. But disciplined people think of how they will feel after they get moving or after they complete the discipline. Here's a tip. Do that countdown in your head that I suggested. Start at 10 seconds and count down slowly to, to, to one and then physically move when you get to one. So these disciplined people get the concept of what we call activation energy. You may have heard of activation energy before. Specifically, activation energy is the amount of energy that it's required to break the bonds of reluctant molecules. Go ahead and say that in some sort of dinner party environment and see what happens. <laughs> People will just look at you and they won't say anything and then they'll change the subject. <laughs> but activation energy is what it takes to get something moving, to get something changing, to get something going. But once activation energy is released, then you actually have momentum that carries you forward in all kinds of chemical and electrical 
electrical processes. It's also true in psychological processes. You know, your refrigerator, when the refrigerator starts, it takes a lot more energy to get it started for that first one, two, three seconds than it does to keep it going. It takes a lot more energy to get an airplane to taxi down the runway and, and accelerate and take off and climb up to altitude than it does to stay at altitude. That's activation energy. They're different because they also know that the hardest part of any discipline is in starting. Therefore, they move. They act. And they do so because they remember their values that are driving them. They have what we like to call a bias for action. They have designed their life so that with specific disciplines in place, they will become and remain resilient. This is a huge, huge deal. So you're wondering, what are their specific disciplines? Well, as we've studied them up close and personal, we've found a few. They relate a little bit to the habits before, but some of those are not actually habits. Some turn into disciplines. Here they go. Let's look at them one by one and see if you can see yourself in here. Here's a discipline they practice. They use their calendars to trigger that start, that 10, 9, 8 thing. They use their calendar. The second discipline is they finish. They use the discipline at the end of something to make sure they stick it out to the very end so that something is 100% finished before they move on. Another discipline is they listen. It's very easy to talk or let your mind wander and not genuinely listen. They practice the discipline of listening. What does it look like? They stop moving. They focus, they lean in, and they actually listen. That's a discipline. Another discipline is they focus mentally. It's a discipline to be mentally present and not let your mind wander all over the map all the time. They focus. Another discipline that they have is they create microclimates of accountability around them. That is, they're the kind of person that does what they say they're going to do. They follow up all the time so that everyone who works with them and is around them knows that if you're going to interact with that person who's built for the storm, that they are going to also hold you responsible for doing what you say you're going to do. It's like you step into a little microclimate where everyone within that microclimate, which spins out <laughs> sort of from this disciplined person, is going to be disciplined as well. They're going to be accountable for fulfilling their own promises. Another thing is they apply this disciplined approach to direct communication, to difficult conversation, to boring parts of exciting projects, to exercise. They apply it to their entertainment education ratio. The stuff they're consuming is largely educational. It's largely something designed to enhance or improve, not distract and escape. They apply it to their food. They apply it to their drink. They apply it to stress, knowing that stress equals fear. They apply the discipline of answering the question, what am I afraid of? They also get up early. Remember, we mentioned that in the last podcast. And early is relative. But most of them that we've actually interviewed over the, over the years get up before 5 o'clock in the morning. Another place that they apply discipline is they apologize. If they have stepped on, on it or in it <laughs> and they've made a mistake, they're quick to apologize, not to soothe everyone and to just make everyone feel good, but they apologize because, hey, this was a mistake Let me and let me fix that and then they move on. And what's more, they practice the discipline of gratitude. 
it's at a moment when they stop and think, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that, where they find themselves stressed out or afraid or frustrated or critical. They practice the discipline. Wait, I don't feel very grateful, but I'm going to be grateful. And they think about and talk about what they're grateful for. So there are more disciplines that we could list, I'm sure. But the point is that resilient people, durable people, know how to apply these disciplines at the right place so that they become more resilient. And here's the secret. Because our brain craves habits, even our disciplines, when practiced a few times, will become more and more and more like a habit and eventually even turn into a habit. I'll bet you have practices in your life that didn't used to be a habit that because you treated them like a discipline have eventually become a habit. There you go. It's no accident that you are built for the storm. So in the next part, we'll put it all together for you and that'll complete this series called Built for the Storm. Thanks for joining me. And if you want a little bit more of this kind of thing, but you want to be able to see it instead of just hear it, why not run over to the Hilt Academy YouTube channel? You'll probably need to search it as one word, Hilt Academy, H-I-L-T Academy, and then it'll pop up for you. We've got a whole bunch of hopefully helpful and kind of fun videos that support this that are a part of our company called the Hilt Academy, which stands for High Impact Leadership Training. Because sometimes we... uh, you know, we make, uh, we make things harder than they need to be. <laughs> and the Hilt Academy is all about some small changes that you can make that make a big difference right away. Why not run over there and check that out if you're someone who enjoys YouTube. And then if you like it, go ahead and subscribe. You know how to subscribe on YouTube. It doesn't cost you anything. You just hit subscribe and enter your email, and then it will send you YouTube, and its gloriousness will send you updates every time or notifications every time that we have a new video which come out once every week. Got about a hundred of those videos. Hopefully they'll be helpful for you. Anyway, it was a great time. I enjoyed this today. And it sounds like all the chainsaw folks have stopped slowly in the background, stopped chopping and chainsawing their way into bliss. So now it's quiet and what a good time for us to stop. (laughs) Hey, I hope you're having a great day. Keep up the good work. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcasts, books, and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.